Hello and welcome to another Christmas edition of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. The movies that we've been doing so far have been pretty silly. This week, uh, Craig chose for us to do something a little more serious. Dare I say downright <laughs> nihilistic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> no. <laughs> you had to have some clue because the director of this film, uh, Severin Fiala and Veronica Franz, also did Goodnight Mommy, which... Which is also um, oh, a similar tone, I think, in this to this movie. Yeah, I did know that, and that should have been a major tip off because that movie was really good, mm-hmm. but but dark, dark, uh, dark and gripping. Yeah, and and this movie is too, but like, <laughs> <laughs> like I I don't even remember if I watched the trailer. I, I must have. But I just, you know, I, I read the story and it, or I read the synopsis and it did sound like, you know, potential for like family drama. Mm-hmm. Um, but a hereditary or something like that. Yeah. But I didn't really know what I was getting into. And, um, <laughs> honestly, like I was, I was watching it yesterday. And I'm like, oh my god, this is one of our Christmas selections. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, the movie is called The Lodge from 2019. Also, apparently, a request from Simon. Uh, So thank you, Simon, for this. We really hope that you meant uh, the 2019 The Lodge and not another horror movie that I found online also called The Lodge, but I think that was like 10 years earlier than this. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Christmas movie. Well, it does take place during Christmas. That is kind of one of our criteria, right? right. It's very snowy. There are Christmas decorations going down. But as far as the Christmas spirit goes, <laughs> I don't right. know. I mean, depends on how your Christmases go. Mine are usually a little bit more cheerful. And this movie really... Uh, yeah, it was pretty depressing. I, I Once it was done, I just kind of wanted to, ugh. Before we get going, we have to give our standard warning that this is the kind of movie that will surprise you and keep you yeah, guessing right. throughout it. So um, if you're at all interested in watching it, and I think you should, yeah, for sure, uh, just, you know... You just know you might want to kill yourself by the end of it. Uh, so have loved ones nearby, get the suicide hotline out, you know, something like that. It's a pretty intense movie from beginning to end. And I think that actually that was one of its strengths. But yeah, if if you want to see it, then go see it before you listen to this, because we're going to spoil it all. Right. Probably just going to spoil it all pretty soon. Maybe. You could summarize the whole thing in Two five sentences. minutes. Yeah. Which, which, which I actually did last night because the movie stuck with, like, it's it's one of those movies that's hard to shake. Like, when you're, yeah. when, when you're done with it, it's hard to shake it off. Mm. And so I was telling my partner about it last night and, and I, I told him, like, you know, the setup. And then like, and then it just, it just gets even more bleak from there. And he's like, well, I'm not going to watch it. So you may as well tell me. So I did, I just ran through the whole thing in like five minutes Mm -hmm. and you, and, and you can, but at the same time, I took a bunch of notes, like way more than usual. It's not like things aren't happening. Things are, oh yeah, things are, things are constantly happening, but within the confines of a very small space and uh, i don't know like ultimately most of the things that happen are on their own fairly inconsequential but it's just this building the the thing that struck me most about this movie was that i was in a constant state of dread yeah. throughout the whole thing i was just kind of <laughs> waiting waiting yeah, for the like, other shoe to drop yes, <laughs> waiting for yeah, it's it's, like a sword dangling above you the whole time i i wasn't scared at least not in the traditional way but like i just constantly felt like 
this is so bad and everything that's like anything that's going to happen is going to be bad and yeah <laughs> it, 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 it's it's going to turn out horribly and i was just oh i know I, I was i really just honestly i i was tense throughout the whole thing yes up until the very very like until the last moment yes and i okay spoiler alert it doesn't end well and i knew that it wasn't going to and i was just waiting to see what horrible tragedy was going to ensue yeah well it is you know i mean they this is constantly listed as a psychological horror film and, you know, I don't know if anybody's really defined what a psychological horror film is. I would say all horror films are psychological to a certain right. extent. But we're talking, what the movie really does well, I think, from the beginning is it really opens itself up to a lot of possibility. Like, it could be supernatural things going on. It could not be, you know. Right. The, who is going to be the what you might say antagonist, you know, kind of keeps changing through the movie. Like you're not quite sure who who's going to be causing the problems, you know, or who's going to be <laughs> kind of behind what's going on. And then even when it starts to become a little bit more clear, there's a little bit more to learn. And then it just marches relentlessly towards, you know, is going to be a very bad conclusion. Right. And you hope it's not what you suspect it might be, and it almost more or less, for me anyway, turned out to be that after <laughs> we're talking well, of like all these know. abstract ways. But yeah, you know. I didn't know. I didn't know exactly where it was going to go. I just had a, a strong certainty, really, that it was whatever it was going to be was not going to be good. Yeah, no, nothing's going to wrap up well. Right. You said nihilistic, and I think that that's probably the uh, a great adjective to describe it. It, it another thing that i said when i was describing it last night is like it's just a series of terrible terrible decisions like yes at any opportunity that somebody has a choice to make <laughs> it, it's just the the worst possible decision that they could possibly well, make also, this is just, I just thought of, you know, I just realized it's filled with unhappy people. Yeah. Nobody, from the very beginning of this movie, it's a tense family situation. Nobody's happy and nobody ever gets happy. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know? Right. And that adds to a sort of, I would say, like psychological claustrophobia, right? Yes. Uh, you don't see a wide range of emotion. It's just, it's just all bad <laughs> right I, you know? I mean that's the thing that that's another thing that made it so dreadful to me was that it was it's a movie that's based in real human trauma yes. like the, these things you know the things that happen god forbid that such a devastating series of events would happen to people but <laughs> it, it's all realistic yeah I, and i thought you know there was a point at which i think the movie purposely leads you down a path where you think there might be something supernatural happening but perceptively i think pretty early on you realize oh that's not even the worst that could <laughs> that this could be it's much uh-huh. worse that there is no supernatural thing that this is like you said ground in a in real life and that this kind of stuff can and probably does happen to people it also i'm just thinking about it now i think a movie could be pretty triggering for folks oh god yes there are so many uh triggering things about it in fact there are things that happen and it's going to be it's going to be in the next five minutes that we probably talk about it that i don't want to talk about like Let's uh, let's let's do it. Let's at least get it started. <laughs> let's warn. I think we've done enough warning here. Don't don't contact us and say we triggered you. Okay, you've had your warning. <laughs> now, if there's if there's if there are things like suicide, uh, general family drama, death in your family, religious trauma, mm-hmm, cult like be whatever. Like um, yeah, this is gonna push those buttons pretty hard because it deals with them in a brutally honest yet it just rubs your face in it the whole time yeah okay 
first of all, if you've <sighs> seen Good Night, Mommy, which you should because it's a, a really good movie. Again, mm. very dark, but uh, I thought as far as filmmaking is concerned, an excellent movie. Yes. You're going to be kind of familiar with this tone and this style but it it starts with shots of what looks like an interior of a home it's like these fourth wall shots like you are the fourth wall looking in and it reminded me very much of funny games uh the way that it framed this setting Hmm. it turns out that these initial interior shots are actually of a dollhouse that the two children who are central characters in this movie have in their home. But we also see an image just apropos of nothing of a loaded gun. Yeah. And then we meet Laura played by Alicia Silverstone, who I did not even know who was in this movie. Yeah, that was crazy. She's calling out for her children and they're, you know, it's not like they're not responding, but they're not coming running or whatever. And, and she's standing in front of a mirror and she just breaks down. She just breaks down crying in front of this mirror. Look, that bothered me. I'm it did say. bother me. <laughs> yeah. And you, because I think you and I, of course, I can only imagine are desperately in love with Alicia Silverstone. Like yeah. any man who grew up in the was 90s. an adolescent or a teenager <laughs> in their 20s in the 90s Alicia Silverstone was a goddess I mean yeah and, and she still is but I, I I feel like they I told Alan last night I said either they uglied her up a little bit or they just did absolutely nothing to pretty her up because she mm. looks like a normal person. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, right. She, <laughs> her hair is a little, just a little unkempt. Um, you know, her face shows what is probably her actual age. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they padded her or maybe she was just in a little bit fuller season of her life. I don't know. But she doesn't look like the sex bomb that we know from the Aerosmith videos, which I liked. She looks real and it was very much suited for this character who's a middle-aged mother who we find out is going through a divorce yeah her kids mia is young i what would you guess like eight nine i guess yeah probably eight eight or nine yeah and then um she's played by a young actress who i don't know anything about leah McHugh, and then aiden um is the son who i would guess 12 13 and he's played by Jaden Marshall, who played Bill uh, in the most recent It movies. Um, and he was also in Knives Out. I recognized him immediately, and he's a, a very talented young actor. Well, both of these actors had to, especially the girl, I think, really had a lot on their shoulders in yes. this movie. Yeah, it's a very emotive, you know, the role requires a lot of intense emotion and and yeah they they did a great job but the parents are getting divorced and the dad his name is richard has a new girlfriend who it appear you know i mean we we find out but from the beginning it it it's obvious that this is a very sore spot like the mom is taking the kids over to the dad's house and the daughter's like is she gonna be there and the mom's like no but when they get there, I think that the girlfriend is there. She's leaving. The mom sees her through a window, and the dad pretends that she hasn't been there. But the dad sends the kids away to the store or something, and he says, I need to talk to you, and he brings her in. He wanted to talk. Um, listen, um, I think we should finalize the divorce. We can't stay where we are. We have to... um, Okay. Grace and I are going to get married. September. Okay. Laura. In what I thought was just... I don't know. I just thought it was so well done. Alicia Silverstone's character just says, okay, and turns around and walks out. Yeah. And that's it. And then the next time we see her, 
She sits down at her kitchen table. She pours herself a small glass of wine. She takes a sip. And then from under the table or from out of our sight line, she pulls out a gun and blows her head off. It's so abrupt. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, in hindsight, it makes sense. It's not like it should have necessarily been unexpected, but it's just so abrupt. And of course here, Alicia Silverstone, who I'm desperately in love with, and, and I can, she, she's in the movie for five minutes and, I believe her as a devastated woman, Um, and she just kills herself brutally and graphically right in front of you. Yeah. (sighs) They kind of pulled a Drew Barrymore on us, didn't they? Uh, Yeah. From Scream, where you take your most famous and and actress and then immediately subvert your expectations by offing her right away. And it's right in your face. For me, it had a similar impact to uh, Full Metal Jacket. You remember that? When Private Pyle goes in and just after he's taken all this abuse and just just walks and sits down and then pulls out a rifle and blows his head off right in front of you. It just came out of... It, like you said, it didn't come out of nowhere, but it wasn't what you were expecting at that moment because of the right. pacing, right? The pacing right. of the movie is just so slow. And it's just, like you said, you can see her pain. You can see it was difficult for the husband to bring it up. You knew she wasn't going to like it. And from that earlier scene where she kind of breaks down in front of the mirror before they go, she knows this is something like this is coming. Like she's anticipating right. this when she's dropping them off to the kids. The minute the husband's said, you know, bring them over and, and I want to talk to you. It's just so real. <laughs> and so that bothered me a lot. It bothered me too. And that was the thing. Like, I don't like to talk about suicide. I don't want to. And so moving on. Right. We move on to her funeral. And like you said, the little girl, I mean, is just as a kid would be. I mean, she is just devastated and just crying. And I mean, it's, it's torturous to watch. It is. And I was just thinking also, like, what a terrible thing to do to your kids, you know? Uh, See, that's the thing. That's why I don't want to talk about it. Uh I just, uh, I I lack empathy when it comes to suicide, and I don't want to come across as being a jerk. But that's why I said just a series of horrible decisions. Like, you know, this dad leaves his family for this younger woman, this mother who's selfish, this mother who is obviously devastated by her own tragedy, kills herself, and, you know, then these kids are left behind, and I just, I I don't want to be judgmental about it, because I understand that mental health is serious, and I don't know what people's thoughts are in those moments, and I don't know what their motivations are, and so I don't want to be judgmental about it but it feels really selfish (laughs) and again like the grieving was very real in this the funeral scene he frames things up like a tableau sometimes and Uh here we have all of the funerary participants who are standing around they have these black balloons and the girl there's a doll motif throughout this whole thing and the girl is holding this doll that you know very quickly well, it, it literally represents her mother, but then it yeah. becomes like kind of a companion to her. It's like her replacement for her mother is this doll that she can carry around and kind of talk to and dress up. And that's so heartbreaking in and of itself. And she tries to more or less send it to heaven by, you know, they're going to release these balloons and she ties the doll to the end of the balloon. But as they all release the balloons and she's the last one to release hers, of course, the weight of the doll carries it back down to the ground and she's just so frustrated she just picks it up and tears the doll off and lets it go and just cries some more i mean (sighs) she's devastated she's devastated and uh, i think that this is as good a time as any because this shot of them standing in the sanctuary which is a really interesting sanctuary uh Mm. i mean they 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 have the funeral inside but then they go outside for this balloon release and they release these balloons through like an opening in the ceiling that's overlooked by a large cross mm. the movie is shot beautifully oh, like it's, amazing. it's just, the cinematography is just stunning I mean, it's just absolutely gorgeous. Like you said, the framing. I mean, it does. It looks like a picture. I mean, you look like you're looking into a shadow box um, in so many of these scenes. It just looks absolutely gorgeous. There's not a lazy shot in the whole movie. No. Not a single one. It's a piece of art. 
Yes, it's absolutely gorgeous. But yeah, that that part where she wants to send her mom up. And then the next thing that we see is the dad is trying to comfort Mia, who is devastated and crying and saying, Mommy can't go to heaven. You don't understand. And that part just broke my heart, too. And, And I thought about it on different levels. Like, I thought that the whole balloon thing was symbolic. Like, she literally the doll that is a facsimile of the mother you know couldn't ascend physically couldn't ascend but i don't know because they don't at least in this aspect they don't play into the religious element of it too much but one of the tenets of many christian denominations including catholicism which i claim is that suicide is a mortal sin so people who commit suicide can't go to heaven and i just can't imagine that weighing on a child especially mm-hmm. a child who's been raised to believe you know that heaven comes at you you know uh god it's just it's it's a dark movie <laughs> it really is from the very beginning we're only what uh, 10 minutes in <laughs> yeah to this two, almost two hour movie right oh. which is why okay so then it cuts to six months later and the next genius decision the dad tells the kids that he wants them to go with him to their family lodge Mm. for christmas but he wants grace to go with them and he can't even stay the whole time he can only stay a couple of days then he has to go back to work for a few days or a week and then he'll come back for christmas so I'm going to take you to our family lodge where you have tons of memories of your mother and dump you there with my girlfriend who broke up our marriage and our family and leave you there with her alone. Yeah. Like, what? It's stupid. (laughs) (laughs) And the kids are like, what? (laughs) Yeah. No, thank you. (laughs) Appropriately so. And it's interesting, too, how... There's a little bit of time that goes by before we see her face. Yeah. And, oh, they play it like that. Like, mm-hmm. you see her in silhouette. You see her behind windows in shadow. It's only when they're getting ready to go and the dad greets her outside of the car. And then she gets in the car. And then the dad gets a phone call. He's like, oh, hold on. I have to take this. And he gets out. Like, have the kids even met her? Yeah, I'm not <laughs> you I'm just, not you sure. You just leave them in the car alone? But before that, we do actually see her as a younger child. Right, because they investigate her. Mm -hmm. The kid says something kind of cryptic. He says something about her. She's the one from your book. Yeah, and you're like, like, from her book? I immediately thought, is he a psychiatrist and this is one of his patients? I immediately thought that. I don't know if there was a tell earlier on or not, but... That was uh, that was something I thought. And then, sure enough, the kids go into his, sneak into his office while they're there. It's Thanksgiving, I think. Also interesting, like, he tries to get her to join them for the Thanksgiving meal. And the kids are protesting it. And he gets a call from her and everything. And he ends up meeting her outside. And they kind of have a chat. And I think the implication is, probably between the two of them, they decided now is not the time. Right. Uh, and so she ends up leaving. Again, we still haven't seen her because it's through kind of a fogged window. But then the kids that night go up into Dad's office and go through his stuff. Well, there's a, an article that she was in a cult. And it's clearly, everything kind of clearly references the Heaven's Gate cult. Mm-hmm. But also Jonestown is a little bit like this, too. Sure, right. right. Uh, where where the, the leader... A suicide cult. This woman's name is... Uh, Grace is her character name. She's played by Riley Keough, who is um, the daughter of, um, well, it's Elvis's granddaughter. Mm-hmm. She's been in quite a few things. She has, and she's been a model and actress and has built a name for herself. But, yeah. you know, she comes from, uh, <laughs> I don't know, Hollywood royalty may not be the right word, well, but she comes from a right. famous family. And she was the only surviving member of this cult when everybody killed themselves. And she, and it said something like she, she was the only one 
who survived and she was supposed to spread the word or something like that's why oh, she was allowed to live I catch that bit it's weird it's important but you see I mean, the kids see, they see video footage, you know, uh, I, I, I guess probably police footage, um, of when they came into this cult after the fact, after everybody had killed themselves and they're all lying in beds. Oh, no. Um, this no? is footage from the girl. Oh, Grace. she was shooting it? I didn't know she, that. Oh, yeah, she was shooting it because, because it's, it's camcorder and, and it's first person and she's walking through and kind of uncovering That's a right. few people from their sheets. And you can see that they have a duct tape over their mouth that has the word sin written on it. And then she turns the camera towards a mirror. And that's the first time we see her face is when she turns the camera towards a mirror and we see her there in the mirror holding the camera. I thought it was interesting that that is the first time we see her as a child just after this event happened in this very creepy footage. And then they pile into the car and we get to see her adult face like right after that. Really smart choice, I think, on the part of the filmmakers. But uh... Well, the movie does a great... It's just a well-made movie. Like, before they leave, because they do, they they go up to this lodge, obviously. Um, but we see the kids playing at the dollhouse and whispering, and there are all of these scenes, not scenes, just shots, really, of the interior of the dollhouse with the dolls placed in different ways. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really know what was going on, but ultimately it all pays off later (laughs) it's it's strange um but anyway so they they pick grace up for the trip and again a point is made of not showing her face until she gets into the car and the dad leaves and she finally turns around to say hello and you know she she does look significantly younger than Mm -hmm. the father she seems like a young woman i would guess in her 20s um, yeah, the relationship. I mean, that's another thing. Bad decisions. This relationship is questionable. You know, she I don't know exactly what it is that he does. I don't know if he writes crime books or what, but obviously she was a part of something that he was investigating. And so to get personally involved with her is suspect yeah. on its own. Yeah, exactly. And I okay. So you think he was like a more of like an investigator or a writer of true crime? That's an interesting idea. I thought I don't know why. Like I said, I don't think the movie's really clear about it. But I don't know why I thought he was maybe a psychologist, and she was one of his patients. Either way, you're right. It's probably inappropriate, and definitely kind of a bad move. You you know you're inviting a potentially emotionally unstable person, and I mean. Look, you can do whatever you want. Be with who you want to be with and, and whatnot. But when you're a family man, you've got these kids, you're recently divorced, she's 20 years old or something, and she ha- she's infamous, more or less, mm. and she has this troubled past, and we can, we can guess that she's going to be emotionally fragile. And she's not jumping in all bubbly from the get-go. She tries to reach out to the kids and be friendly to them and nice to them, but she also seems to be rather understanding that it's tough for them, too. I mean, we get that evidence when, you know, she doesn't come over for Thanksgiving and she doesn't really push things with them and doesn't try to be overly happy with them. It's, it's like she's pretty sensitive to what's going on, but also you kind of wonder if, how troubled she still is, <laughs> you right. know? And that's where a lot of this dread comes from, I think. I, it, it only makes sense, and I don't blame them at all, and I'm sure that I would feel the same way, that the kids resent her. They, yeah. they feel that that uh, she destroyed their family in more ways than one. She broke up their parents' marriage. Uh, they believe that she's responsible for their mother's suicide, and while that's not fair... I think that if I were their age, I would feel exactly the same way. Yeah. Um, so she's in a bad position, but again, <laughs> everybody's making poor choices. Like I, I, I don't like cheaters. I just don't like. Yeah. I get it. Things happen, but I don't like cheaters. And you know, the dad is responsible. He was the married one. He. There's obviously a a power dynamic thing going on here. He's older. He's professional. She's younger and 
potentially vulnerable. I mean, it certainly seems like she's vulnerable, but she made her choices too. So Mm. I don't, (laughs) just bad decisions all around. Don't screw around on your wife. Don't screw around with married men. And then you can avoid these types of movies. (laughs) (laughs) I will give her, you know, her name is Grace. And I was going to say, I will give her some grace because she is trying. You know, they they get to the lodge and she tries. You know, we see that she has gifts for the kids. We see that she has pills as well. Yeah. Well, you know, that's fine. I mean, if if she needs to regulate her mental health with medication, there's nothing shameful about that. And she, you know, she seems to be doing that. You know, mm-hmm. she's she's okay. She just needs her medication. Yes, but that's important. The, yeah. And, you know, like you said, this is their family lodge where they have all these memories. And so there are photos of mom. Actually, we're seeing, you can tell that the dollhouse that the girl was playing with is modeled after this lodge. I mean, uh-huh. that's how important this lodge is to them. The girls plays in it. Right. And there's um, a picture, like an old Italian Renaissance painting of Mary that is in miniature form in the dollhouse that is in full uh-huh. form here in the um, in the lodge in exactly the same place. I don't think that we can do this element of the movie justice because no. it's, it's not subtle at all, but it's background. I mean, how much can we talk about the decor? You know, like, it appears that the the mother the bio mom Alicia Silverstone's character it appears that she was at least I don't want to say deeply because I don't know that there's enough to suggest that but at least somewhat religious like yeah. there's religious iconography around the house and and that painting is particularly prominent it it feels like that the painting especially but all of the religious iconography and then on top of that the doll who i believe is meant to literally be an icon of the mother like the mother is so present yes throughout the movie it's like she's there like she's observing all of this and and potentially even manipulating is not the right word but like like she's playing an active role it's really well done <laughs> yeah and you mean this in kind of a meta i mean you clearly you mean this in a metaphorical way yes, because yes there, there's a point at which you do wonder if there are some supernatural things going on if the actual ghost of the mother, a literal ghost of the mother, is haunting the house. It turns out that's not the case, but you're right. Like, the figurative and thematic ghost of the mother is very much haunting the house and the kids and the family. And also, you know, you just see a powder keg here because of the religious aspect, and this girl was rescued from a cult and is still clearly not over it because she's taking medication. And the kids are praying at the dinner table quite devoutly, and she's just kind of looking at them. And you do wonder what an effect this has on her to be with these religious kids surrounded by this religious iconography when she just escaped a cult herself. Right. You know, not too long ago anyway, and is still clearly dealing with it, grappling with it, coming to terms. And I thought, you know, as nice as she's trying to be to everyone, this is going to be an issue at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just digging into her, and you see it because there's a, you know, there's a point when she's unpacking everything, and like we said, we see the presents and stuff go into a drawer. She hides them under some things. She puts her pills away at, after she takes a couple, and so, okay, she's on medication. And then there's a picture of the mom and the dad still there on the nightstand that she just picks up, looks at for a moment, and puts it away too. But this picture of Mary really bothers her because it is just sort of looming presence over the dinner table, and she's seated opposite it to the point where at some point in the movie, she's eating by herself, she turns around to to put her back to it, and eventually just takes it off the wall as well. Mm-hmm. This is a great movie for show me, don't tell me, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, they, there's just so much going on with these little moments and these little things that happen in this house that just speak volumes to the characters and their mental state and, and what they're trying to process and what they're trying to achieve. Um, right. And, well, and like you said, you, the mother is not literally haunting them, but I mean, just coincidental things like you said she took down the painting well at some point later there's a tense moment and the painting that she had propped up against 
a, a cabinet or something tips over and makes a loud noise and like mm-hmm. draws attention to itself. And so it does lead you to question whether or not there's something supernatural going on. And and we haven't even really gotten to the part where you're like, whoa, what's happening? We're, we're almost there. So there were parts when I did question if there was something out of the realm of normalcy going on. You mm-hmm. know, it's a movie, so whatever can happen. But even little parts like that, like just the painting tipping over and drawing attention to itself in a tense moment door kind of opens on its own yeah yeah little things little things that are easily explained rationally Mm -hmm. and they are in the movie they're easily rationally explained but it keeps you on your toes and i like that the dad stays for a little while they have some moments they go ice skating the little girl accidentally like drops her doll the mom doll into a fishing hole and grace tries to get it out for her and ends up falling through the ice they get her out it's shot amazingly well it's very tense and and frightening um but they do get her out and then the dad's gonna leave before he leaves he's actually a little bit hesitant like he tells her you know i don't know things are still a little tense maybe i should stay and she's like it's a couple of days it'll be fine um, but just to be safe, I guess, he he shows her that there is a gun. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he shows her the gun safe. And the combination for the gun safe is one, two, three, four, five. My God, people, why even have a gun safe? Like, just leave it out on the table if you're going to put it in a gun safe, the combination one, two, three, four, five. Yeah. Um, and, and he takes her out to, like, show her how to shoot it. But she clearly knows her way around a gun. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. this is not an issue. And then he leaves. And then this is when I thought things started getting really interesting and real. Because as soon as the dad is gone, the kids completely shut her out. Yeah. They won't speak to her. They lock themselves in her room or in in their room. Eventually, which I thought was very realistic, the daughter, who is younger, gives in a little bit and starts communicating with her. Yeah. And... They, you know, they talk about the little girl wants a dog for Christmas and Grace has a dog. She's brought her dog with her there, which I thought was hilarious because she has this little dog and she brings it to the lodge. And the dad says, I set up a little dog bed for the dog. And she's like, oh, okay." So she goes and she puts the dog in the dog bed and then it never leaves that bed. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like they did a really good job of getting around the necessity of shooting with a dog by just like, eh, it'll just be sitting in the dog bed. It's it's, it's happy in its bed all day long. (laughs) Oh, hilarious. Um, There's some point here, I had completely forgotten about it, I'm just looking through my notes, but when Mia, the daughter, is talking to Grace, we see that Grace has a cross-shaped scar on her palm. Mm-hmm. Did you notice that? Do you mm-hmm. know what that's about? No. I feel like it didn't come up again. I felt like it was a cult thing, or or was it burned in there? Maybe. In retrospect, I think it might have been burned in there, like kind of a, a but yeah, it's cross-shaped. Yeah, that um, that would make sense mm-hmm. later. Um, but Mia shows Grace a video that they made for their dad for Christmas, which is just absolutely jam-packed full of their mother. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so Grace gets up and walks away. And Aiden is not talking to her at all. Like, he won't even respond when she talks to him. Um, but she takes a shower and when she gets out, the mirror is steamed up, but there's, like, a heart with mom, like, written in it in the steam. And she looks, and Aiden has been watching yeah. her. And yeah. she she goes into their room, and he's pretending to be asleep. But she finds basically a shrine to their mother, which, again, that's fine. They're kids. They miss their mom. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Then, this is right after we see that shrine – there is a really loud discordant sound cue. Yeah. Uh, that, that scared the shocked heck out of me. me. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't know what was happening. And we see Grace backlit and all of a sudden she's seeing the children in their beds, but they're covered up like the bodies were in her cult. Mm-hmm. I guess she like, for some reason takes, Grace takes the mom doll. But then she pretends like she doesn't know why it's missing, but 
I don't know if she felt guilty about taking it or what, so she just hid it somewhere else and helps the daughter find it. It's it's really weird. Yeah. But eventually, eventually Grace confronts Aiden, and she's like, talk to me. And he says, I don't want to talk to you. And she says, oh, well, you don't want to talk to me? You just want to look at me in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and that's kind of a a turning point. Where then it seems like maybe he's going to give her a chance. Well, has, is, has this happened before or after? Because while the kids were kind of locking themselves up and not doing anything with her, she was decorating the house for Christmas. And she has yeah. that, I think what you were talking about, the loud discordant noise and some of, some of that that goes on is actually a dream that she has that she wakes up from because her father kind of comes into it at one yeah. point. She's having these bad dreams about her father. And when she gets up, she, she finds out that everything is gone. Like her clothes. Well, no, her... no, hold on. Not, not quite yet. Uh-huh. Th- that's what, that's why I was saying, because it kind of seems like he's going to give her a chance. And so they uh-huh. have dinner and then they're watching movies together. Like they're watching the thing. And then when it gets too scary, they turn it off and watch like the Michael Keaton, Jack Frost Christmas movie. But Mia is really cold while they're watching movies. So Aiden goes and gets a gas heater and sets it up and Grace says, is it safe to have that in here? And honestly, I I couldn't even remember. You know, I've used those kind of heaters before, but I can't remember if it was just outdoors or if they are safe for the oh, indoors. I used to use a, we used to use a kerosene heater in Japan quite a bit. I mean, it's actually still to this day ridiculously common in Japan for families to have kerosene heaters. Even in modern apartments, they're just not that well insulated and it's just something they do. And uh, we, well, we... and I mean, they they are potentially dangerous because it is an open flame. Well, and should the flame go out, it's going to still be continuing to pump out gas. So. Well, yes and no. Yeah, yeah, for sure, that's true. But even burning them in there, you, you're eventually filling your house up with carbon monoxide, and so after about three hours, you have to vent it all out, which which is was a s- eternal source of frustration for us in our our little old Japanese apartment because you just get the house warm and you're enjoying the house for 3 hours and then well you got to open all the windows and and vent the place so the cold air brushes back in again you know that's a big issue especially if you just leave it on and and it doesn't have like an automatic shut off or anything like right. that right yeah. see and that's the thing like she asks if it's safe and the kid says oh yeah it's safe we use it all the time or whatever well then they fall asleep Mm-hmm. And then that's getting to where you are. They wake up. She, wait, doesn't she wake up outside? Or was that a dream too? Um, I think that was a dream. It was a dream. She yeah. wakes up outside. She sees the doll under the ice. The ice breaks. She falls through. And I think it's the cult leader that like grabs her and pulls her down. But I couldn't really tell if it was her or if it was Richard doesn't really matter because it's a dream by the way offhandedly the uh cult leader in all of these weird you know scenes is played by riley keogh's father um very small role but interesting connection there she then does she does then wake up inside and this is where all of a sudden i didn't know what kind of movie it was anymore yeah because she wakes up inside and it takes these things are even though you see everything that's happening everything just didn't register with me right away the first thing that she realizes is that it's really cold she tries to turn on the lights the power's dead the her phone is dead because it hasn't been charging she tries to get water the pipes are frozen the gas heater is missing and then even though the camera has been showing us all of this. I didn't realize until she did that everything is missing. Yeah, the Christmas decorations are gone. The refrigerator is empty. All of their clothes are gone. Everything's gone, including the dog, except for them and their phones, which don't work. Yeah, and but this is kind of set up. Like like the thing that you had said earlier about the doll going missing and you, you didn't quite know what to make of that. Um, while she was sleeping, I think what happened, while she was sleeping, um, the kids had rounded up her things and put them in her suitcase, including the doll. 
So she was just as puzzled as anybody to see that the doll was in her suitcase. But then when um, Riley's a girl, no, what's the girl's name? The little girl, Mia. Mia. Then when Mia is like, "Oh my doll, I can't find my doll," she didn't want to admit right away, like, "Oh, like I, your doll mysteriously was, you know, packed up with my things." Uh, she she kind of pretended like, "Oh, I found it by the dog for you." But I think the implication here was the setup was supposed to be that she was sleepwalking and doing things in her sleep. And that that was something that yeah. she was being, well, yeah, that, that she had been doing in her sleep was that she had packed all that stuff up, didn't realize it in the morning, and was kind of covering for it again. So when everything's missing in the house, there's one thing where you're going, okay, well, maybe this is some weird supernatural thing. But I think it's Aiden actually says, well, you you walk all over the place, uh-huh. you know, at night, like you sleepwalk. Right. She thinks that they are messing with her. Mm-hmm. And she's angry, and she's demanding that they tell her where everything is, but they swear that they have nothing to do with it, and they say, it's probably you, we hear you walking all around the house all night. Mm-hmm. And so here again, you wonder, is it her? It could be her. Yeah. Is there is there somebody else walking around in the house at night, and they just think it's her? Like, there are all of these questions. Yeah. But now they're in the middle of a big storm. The generator won't work. The next important thing that happens, which really threw me, was they eat, they eat, like all the food's gone, but it seems like just maybe a few perishable things or non-perishable things have been left behind. So like they mm-hmm. have some beans and some crackers. And so they eat dinner. And then the daughter, Mia, gets up to do something. And as soon as she walks away from the table, Aiden says to Grace, I had a really weird dream like last night, a nightmare. I dreamed that we all fell asleep and the gas heater started smoking and we suffocated. Mm-hmm. And from that point, I believe that's what happened. I, yeah. I, I totally believe that's what happened. Yeah, like they're stuck in like a purgatory type thing. Like they're ghosts now. Right, yeah. right. Um, and like the date on the clock says that it's January 9th. And even though Grace changes it back to December 22nd, when she looks at it again later, it's gone back to January 9th. Mm-hmm. Grace hears like she's just walking and she hears Mia in her room talking. And it sounds like she's all I heard her say was, I love you. I miss you. And then Grace bursts in and demands that Mia give her the phone. And she says, I was just pretending um, and she gives her the phone, and, and Grace can't turn it on. Because it's dead, yeah, yeah. Because it's dead, right. And then weird stuff starts happening, but you don't know if it's real or if it's because she doesn't have her medicine. Like, that's the thing that she's most concerned about. Like, mm-hmm. I think at one point she even says, just give me my pills. You know, like, yeah. everything else, whatever. I need my my pills. And so she starts seeing weird things. She... Uh, washes herself with water heated by the fire and the steam in the mirror um, has repent written in it. She's hearing voices that say repent your sins. I, I think it's supposed to be the voice of the cult leader. Tries to walk to town, right? This is... she, Right, she tries. And she comes across some weird house that it looks like you see the, the cult leader stand... The, the house is shaped like a cross. Yeah. Um, and... It looks like you see the cult leader like standing in it, but nobody answers. And she ends up just circling back to the house. At this point, after that trek, she's kind of out of it. Yeah. Um, and she won't even come in. And at some point, the kids see her walking back towards the house, carrying her dog. Well, and, just and before, before this, though, just before this. When she does come back to the to the cabin, after seeing that weird cross-shaped cabin out there, she sees something in the snow, some flowers yes. by the foot of the, of the porch, and she unburies it and then digs even deeper and sees that there is a frame. It's a picture frame, and it has the two kids in it, and it's like in memoriam. With like a black, like a black um, ribbon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, like, straight out, she comes inside and sees that they are praying intently by the fire. And there's a, a piece of paper, some something printout, I guess, on the table. And she picks it up, and the printout 
has like a newspaper article talking about all three of their deaths from carbon monoxide poisoning on December 22nd. And at this point, I was like, what? Yeah. Like, I believed that they were dead, but I was like, where did this come from? And like the the flowers in the picture buried in the snow, I was like, that makes sense. You know, if if they died, somebody came, you know, in the interim and left this and it got covered up by snow and she's finding it. That makes sense. The the printed out obituary that the kids found, I'm like, where did that come yeah, from? Yeah, exactly. What is happening? It's and, weird. And they and they 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 they're praying intently and and they yell. They're like, we're in purgatory. We're de- you know we're dead and blah blah blah. And, and she says, Aiden says, we must repent so you can go, go to, to heaven. heaven. Yeah, he kind of disappears. Well, he says something like, I'll prove it to you or something like that. Maybe. Mm -hmm. I don't know. They run off. And then the little girl screams her name and says, come here, come here. And she runs and she looks up this stairwell to the attic. And he's there hanging, apparently Mm -hmm. dead. But Mm -hmm. he isn't dead. He lifts up his head and says, see, we can't die because we're already dead. We're in purgatory. We have to repent our sins so we can go to heaven. Mm Mm-hmm. And then she, from this point, is just entirely tormented. She hears her dad's voice telling her, just confess, God is waiting. And we see her walking on her knees in a circle in the snow on the lake and praying. Um, and that's when she brings the dead dog. And I think that this was a breaking point mm-hmm. because um, Mia is devastated by this dead dog and she says it's my fault it's my fault i left the door open he must have frozen to death and then they can't get her to come in and then the big twist is revealed they were just fucking with her yeah and that's why i brought up the thing about the dollhouse in the beginning they had this whole thing planned out yeah from the beginning they were staging it in the dollhouse before they even left. Yep. That's messed up. <laughs> Super messed up. So it, the movie is so good at flipping your sympathies around. Uh-huh. You're with the kids in a way, like you understand, you sympathize with them. When this comes out that they have been messing with her this whole time and they go to the basement and they uncover a panel where they pull out all the crap that they collected from the house, yeah. including her medication, including her freaking coat. Uh-huh. You know, the woman was outside in the snow without any coat on. They come out and they put the coat around her and they admit, but she is too far gone She's at this gone. point. They have driven her to the point of no return. And... It's their fault. <laughs> yeah. You know? Well, like, that's the thing. Like, it's hard to blame them. Like, they are bereaved and they are angry. And I think, uh, you know, they're kids. So they're kids. justifiably so. But, man, they really committed to this. And, like, and pushed it as far dang, as it would go. And it, it took a dead dog. Like, they didn't care about her. And her emotional state, her mental state, her freaking medication. Like, they don't know. They don't know what her medication is for. You know? Who knows what well, that is? I'm, I'm, I'm willing to get, I'm willing to give them a pass on that, too, because I don't think that kids understand well. the importance and and significance of medication so they may not have understood the gravity of it but but still she's begging for her pills come on i mean and yeah also like you could give them a pass on everything because they're kids you know i mean look we played some stupid pranks when we were kids we did some pretty heartless things because we didn't know any better we thought something was funny or we didn't know how it would affect somebody else i feel like everybody's got a story or two about something they regretted from their youth that they're just appalled by, you know? Hell, I've got stories from my 20s, (laughs) you know? So, I mean, you could give them a pass on all this stuff, except the lengths at which they took it and the mental breakdown that she was obviously having, you do start to feel like they kind of get what's coming to them to a certain extent. See, and I didn't know. I didn't know what was going to happen at this point. Um, but she, she, you know, like you said, I mean, she's mentally gone, like she's, she's physically harmed, you know, she's been out in the cold, her face is frostbitten, um, and she starts doing, before I 
go there. I was also just kind of blown away the extent to which they were able to carry this because the filmmakers did a good job addressing unanswered questions. Like, why wouldn't the dad have come back if he had been unable to contact his girlfriend for mm-hmm. several days? Like, wouldn't that be a red flag? Well, as it turns out, their phones were working and they were communicating with the dad. Yep. So I'm sure they were telling the dad everything was fine. Mm-hmm. And so he wasn't worried about it. Crazy. You're keeping up a ruse the whole time. Very elaborate. I know. It's insane. Oh, and the other thing, like you said, you know, you can just find anything because they're kids. That's fine. I agree with you. But we've also watched movies like we did a Christmas movie one time. I don't remember which one it was, but where this kid totally manipulates his babysitter and mm. then ends up killing pretty much everybody like that kid was a sociopath. Yeah, I don't think these kids are sociopaths. It's true. They're making terrible decisions. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> a That's series true. of terrible decisions. Yeah. But at this point, I mean, it's terrible. You know, she is gone. Grace, come on. Let's go inside. Come on, it's too cold, Grace. It's too cold. Come inside. We were just pretending. We didn't die. Grace, I... Actually, I didn't hang myself. None of it was real. Well, can we... Can we just go inside, please? We're all sinners on earth. May the Lord forgive us so we can be welcomed into the kingdom of heaven. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Like she is um, kneeling on burning embers to repent her sins. And at this point, the kids are just hiding from her in the attic. And the dad does eventually come. Yeah, he sees their dollhouse. This is where we kind of see that everything was staged, which, you know, in retrospect, the filmmakers were teasing us with this the whole time. Yeah. We were seeing all those random shots of the dollhouse that at some point came into uh, fruition. Even the kid hanging, we had seen a doll hanging in there. You're just like, Mm -hmm. what's that? You don't know if it's some artsy thing or whatever they're trying to do. No, they were literally showing us (laughs) the dollhouse. The dad sees it, and, you know, he can't get a hold of them anymore, so he gets in his car and drives that way, and then he shows up. Oh, God. Um... You want to just go through this bin? <laughs> I yeah, I, I, <laughs> I mean it's it's. I didn't know, you know. He pull, there. There's a very tense scene where there they've been hiding in the attic, but Mia has to go to the bathroom, and then against her brother's advice, she goes down. She sneaks downstairs. She goes to the bathroom, and she comes out, and Grace comes out of the shadows right behind her uh-huh. and follows her up the stairs, and she has a gun. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know. Well, the gun. We knew the gun was there and i didn't know what was going to happen it cuts away from that shot of them huddling the kids huddling together kind of in a corner and her standing in front of them with the gun and then the the next shot is the dad's car pulling up and i had no idea what Mm. he was going to be walking into i thought we were going to hear a gunshot maybe i did too i thought we were going to hear a gunshot as he approached the house but we don't he walks in and he kind of notices some things are off but it's when he sees the dog dead in its dog bed that he's clearly concerned. And he ends up walking up to the attic where they are all still there, safe. But she still believes that they are dead and in purgatory and need repentance. And she's telling him this. And he's trying to talk her off the ledge. Um, but she says, look, no, we're dead. We can't die. We're in purgatory. I'll show you. And she puts the gun to her head, and he's calmly pleading with her not to do anything. She pulls the trigger, but there's just a click. Like, I guess there just wasn't a bullet in that chamber. Mm-hmm. But then I feel like she feels like she still needs to prove it to the dad. So she points the gun at him and cocks it, and he's 
pleading with her to just give her the gun. Everything's going to give him the gun. Everything's going to be okay. And he reaches for it very gingerly and she pulls the trigger and shoots him in the head. (laughs) Yeah. Right there in front of his kids, right in front of his kids. And they all run. They all, the, the two kids run down and are, weeping over their father's body and oh god i felt so terrible it's horrible it's horrible and i just felt so bad for everybody i mean i i especially felt bad for the little girl because she's so young and i'm sure she had no idea what consequences might come of this I had a little bit less sympathy for the son but ultimately i felt bad for him too i'm sure that he never expected it to go this far yeah i mean it was cruel i think he knew it was cruel he was that was intentional but i don't think anybody ever thought that it would go this far yeah and then the kids are smart i guess and run away they run to the car and you hear them start the car but it's you know seconds after you hear them start the car you hear it crash and i knew it would because these roads are treacherous i mean they would be difficult for an adult who knows how to drive to navigate grace very calmly walks outside and starts walking to the car it's a a long shot from above them again i didn't know what was going to happen i thought she might shoot them right there through the windshield Mm -hmm. but she doesn't and it it just shows her approaching the the car and then it cuts away And the next thing we see is an aerial shot of the landing where the father had been shot. And you just see a trail of blood. His body is gone. And then it cuts to the dinner table where she has seated the father at the head of the table. And she is sitting on one side and the two children are sitting on the other side. And the girl is crying the the son is on the verge of tears and grace is praying and then she starts singing a song which is a very familiar song that i can't think of now but it was like nearer my god to thee or something yep, yep. It's a hymn. like that yep mm-hmm. Near yeah my god to thee yep she's singing it and of course the lyrics are about wanting to be closer to god and wanting to be with god and i will be with god soon and i just thought it was very strange but it didn't pull me out of reality that the children through their tears start singing with her Mm -hmm. and the brother at some point looks at the sister and says it's it's okay it's gonna be okay and they're singing the camera is just on the kids and we see grace coming around behind them and she puts duct tape with sin on it over their mouths and she has it over her mouth cut to black the end yes Uh. (laughs) it's it's so bleak like it's one of the bleakest movies i've seen and yet i thought it was a really really good movie it's hard to recommend because it is so bleak i'll never watch it again (laughs) <laughs> no. Oh, absolutely not. But in ter- same thing with Goodnight Mommy. I would never yeah. watch that movie again either. Yeah. But it's an just an expertly made film. So interesting. It yeah. keeps you guessing the entire time. I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. I was completely enthralled. It was just beautifully shot. And yet it was so uncomfortable <laughs> to watch for most of it, hats off to the filmmakers for really wringing every last little bit of emotion out of these performances. I was going to say hats off to the actors because oh, you know yeah, God, the, yeah. the whole movie pretty much lies on the shoulders of this one woman who's a young woman um, and these two children, and they do such an amazing job. Their performances are compelling. Well, uh, apparently they made the right decision and they, they decided to shoot the film in sequence so that they could make sure to get this right, you know, so that it, the, 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 the yeah, the, the, the relationship with them and how it unfolds and also the, the timing and, you know, how does her breakdown kind of develop? That would be a tricky thing to get right. Yeah. Um, otherwise it gets kind of unbelievable or corny and it goes really, really well. I think you're right. The turning point was that dog because she had said something earlier on about how that dog 
was like her salvation through yeah. her most difficult time of her recovery after this horrible incident. And so the death of her dog was sort of the catalyst for just just that last little straw that put her over the edge, you know. Right. Yeah. Oh God. Just so amazing. So good. Bothered the hell out of me. It's gonna bother me, me for days. Because, like you said earlier, we said it earlier, this kind of thing could happen and does. These, you know, variations of this happen. People make what I'm saying is just young people who don't know any better, or just people who don't know any better, make stupid decisions, do unnecessary things that end up turning out very, very badly, more tragic than they could ever be. So, I mean, it's a horror movie for sure, psychological horror movie. It's a tragedy. It is. It is. It's like a Greek tragedy. <laughs> yeah. It is, where nobody wins. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but uh, thank you. We said it was Simon, Simon right, who yeah. uh, requested this. Thank you. This was an excellent request. Uh, we may or may not have gotten around to doing it anyway, but thank you for bringing it to our attention. And like I said, it's a difficult movie to recommend, but if you are... If you're emotionally prepared, <laughs> it is an excellent movie. And these filmmakers, you know, if, if they do something else, I'll make sure I'm in a reasonable state of mind, but I'll watch it because they are very, very talented. Yeah. So, uh, I guess that's, <laughs> that's, sure. that's my take on it. Like, if you're emotionally fragile, please do not watch this movie. <laughs> no. Because really it, it might mess it. you up. Like, I, I don't consider myself, at least at this very moment in my life, I don't consider myself particularly emotionally fragile, but it, like you said, it messed me up for a while. Like, it stuck with me for the whole rest of the day, and it was tough. You know, I, I've slept on it now, and I, I feel better. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of glad we're done talking about it, so I don't have to think about it and contemplate it anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> we'll do some go- goofy, stupid Santa Claus axe murderer movie next Sounds week. Sounds like a plan. Sounds like a plan. Oh, yeah. Merry Christmas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, well, uh, happy holidays to everybody. And thank you so much again, Simon, for uh, requesting this movie. If you have a request, please send it to us online. You can just uh, Google us, Two Guys in a Chainsaw Podcast. Find our Twitter feed, our Facebook page, our website, and leave us a message any one of those places. Let us know what you thought of this movie and what other films you'd like us to see in the future. Please share this podcast with a friend. Until next time, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. With Two Guys in a Chainsaw. Ah!